1: Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings-on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the Pascal Strauch of the podcast. Pascal, Pascal, Pascal. And I'm joined by the Bamford is great, isn't he, of the podcast, Tom Woodhead. He really is great, isn't he? And finally, the insert something negative here of the podcast. Oh no, there isn't really anything negative to say. It's Tom Alderson. Tom, how are you doing?
2: I'm very good. Um I've actually watched the game back for the first time ever whilst doing these podcasts, so hopefully that leads to me sounding more informed. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm going to be able to bring myself to do it when we lose 6-0 to Man United again, but yeah, it was a nice game to watch back. Um, and yeah, ho- hopefully I actually sound, sound informed today and will make a change.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that's not what we strive for at All Stats, sort not <laughs> But yeah, I guess we'll have to bear with with being uh, on the money again. But
0: uh, Tom Woodhead, how are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. And you won't have to worry about me getting anything right.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, let's jump straight in and ask the
0: question, how did that feel? Tom Woodhead, how did that feel? It felt great. Um, I think this was the first game of the season that I fully expected us to lose that we'd won fairly well Uh, you know there was maybe the Man City game where we managed to get a point out of it but generally this season I think the games we've won have been games that we've expected to have a decent chance in so it was really nice to have those, those feelings upended yesterday
1: Yeah I've just tweeted out on the Twitter account actually that that was the first game of the season where I feel like we made a tactical decision which changed the course of the game um And took it from sort of big going one way to going another way um there's probably there's quibbles here and there there's obviously games where we've made tactical decisions that have helped but i think once we made the shift halfway well 60 minutes into the game um that that we've talked about on the the twitter account we'll talk about it now um but once we made that shift we went from a possible draw to a possible win and then managed to get the win so um i'm i'm quite pleased about that it was a for me it was a fun game it was the first fun game we've had in a long time as well. Uh, obviously we've had some poor results uh, particularly in this year um, but we've also had you know good results that weren't that enjoyable. I didn't really enjoy the Newcastle game, for example. I didn't really enjoy the Burnley game either and those both came through with results so it was nice to I think have a, a game where it was you know we looked tactically good, we looked fun uh, and it, you know we scored some absolute belters of goals as well. Tom Alderson, how did it feel? it felt great like you said and it was nice for us to sort of play,
2: play even if it was just for 45 minutes to play a team who played 3 4 and to come through it like I think they did they did give us problems at the start when they shifted to that I don't know if we weren't maybe we were we were a bit sort of caught by surprise that they shifted to that at half time and because if, if a team comes on like that you can sort of set up your markers and when to press but I think we did um Around the 60th minute, we did well to to adjust to that, but I think that might have be been what caused us the problems at the start of the second half.
1: I have set out um, a couple of diagrams on the Twitter account which might help for people to have a look at if they want to understand what happened in the second half, but they, they went to 343 and I think immediately caused us problems. Um because our pressing broke down, and I think one of the things I've noticed so much recently is that in a four-one-four-one against a back four, our pressing looks fine. Um, we we don't, we don't look quite so soft in the middle. We don't we're not quite so easy to find space to drive into from the centre backs. As soon as they move to a back three, we have a question, which is who is going to press the the, the back three alongside Bamford? And usually, what we do is we push the central midfielder forward. And we push C- Calvin Phillips uh, into, I guess, into um, the double, the, well, I guess push push him forward onto the two midfielders and then have probably the more attacking of the two mid- midfielders, right, pushing onto the striker. So yesterday we would have expected um, Click to push forward on, and, and press the back three alongside Bamford and then have Calvin Phillips and um, uh, Stuart Dallas pressing their two midfielders. Which is fine, but the problem is is that obviously Calvin Phillips is being used as a stopper a lot of the time uh, and it works better when you have him against the 10 because he's sort of in the posi- position that you want him to be in. As soon as you push him forward onto a midfield 2, um, especially against a team like Ev- uh, Leicester and I suppose Everton 2, but a team that has a, a wide forward who's going to drop into the, the middle space that's left behind by Phillips, it just suddenly becomes very, very easy for them, one, to... Press, push out from the back, find space and attack through center backs, but also to find space in the middle. And what happened midway through, well, after about 60 minutes was rather than having, um, the, the central midfielder push forward and create space in the middle we dropped the centre midfielder back so we had Click and Calvin Phillips playing um, in, the, in the central midfield spaces and then Stuart Dallas dropped into a, a fullback position so he was marking um, James Madison who was dropping in centrally and so um, Dallas was then sort of inverting as we call it so moving from a fullback position to a central midfield position um, in possession phases and it meant that we just had three midfielders in the middle all the time and this free up um basically alioski to push forward onto the wing back and then push harrison forward into the pressing the back line so by basically that's sort all of sounds very complicated but basically what we did is we took the the man out of the the rather than taking the man out of the middle to do the pressing we took him out of the side um and I think that made us a lot more solid in the middle and it pretty much caused the problems that led to the two goals uh, and then after that it caused Leicester to change their formation back to a 4 2 a four two three one for the last 10 minutes of the game as well so um that was the that was a tactical shift that I saw and it, you know it really did make a difference you mentioned the um I don't know if you mentioned the the differences between yeah you, you talked about the three four three Tom um, causing us problems last time round and this this time not so much. I looked at the pressing numbers from the two games, and in the game against Leeds Elland Road, the uh, Leicester made I think about 130 pressing. Um, actions. Whereas yesterday it was down at 90. Um, they made 65 pressing actions in their defensive third, Leicester at Elland Road, and they only made about 30 in the game yesterday. So they were just giving Leeds so much more uh, time and space on the ball, particularly in attacking areas. And we all know that Leeds are, are going to do well when they're given that space. And that, for me, that was the that was the story of the game. Um, sorry. So that's a long monologue from me. Anyone wanted to add anything into what I've just said?
2: Yeah, so um, I think what we've seen in the past as well is if Phillips is on a ten, he's culpable to. So if say like they shift out wide, he'll go with them, and that leaves the space as well. And I think with Madison playing almost in the front three, it meant that Phillips wasn't on him, so he could stay in that central position more. Um, and I just think that that just made us look a lot more solid. Um, and some people we'll mention later, but I think that will that'll be a factor again with Rodriguez um on whatever day it is because it would depend if he plays as a 10 or a winger it would depend it would affect two marketing but yeah I agree we looked a lot more solid with Dallas picking up uh, Madison
1: well let's jump into the questions then and uh, I should say again thank you for all your questions this week we had nearly 16 obviously we can't fill all of those in especially because this is a double header episode so we will be previewing the Everton game later on but let's just jump into into the questions so um Brian Williams, we're talking about the midfield, was that the best performance of the season and have we found by chance the best midfield combination in Dallas Click and Calvin Phillips? Uh, Rodrigo as an impact sub when needed. Tom Woodhead, we haven't heard from you for a while. What's your answer to this question?
0: I definitely think it was Dallas's best performance of the season um, and obviously Dallas has the tactical and physical qualities that are needed to play that position. What lets him down sometimes is the technical side and his technical side was spot on the other yesterday and... When when, it, when he adds that, um, he 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 is almost the perfect midfielder for our system because you can move him wherever you want. Um, he'll he'll adapt to all sorts of roles, um, and and yeah, it 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 works brilliantly when when he's on his game like that. Um, I I mean I'm not so sure about this combina- combination being the key. I I I thought we were playing just as well when Rodrigo was on, even though he wasn't on that long. Um, and uh, quick coming on didn't make a huge tactical difference for me. Um, I I think the main difference was. Well, and has been actually. I think I think we saw it against Newcastle as well that that um, Dallas is just playing that position a bit more conservatively. He's not going forward quite so much, even though he did score yesterday. Um, he's he's hanging back a little bit, a, a little bit at the right times, and we just don't have that thing of Rodrigo and Click both bombing forward all the time and leaving us wide open. So um, it, just, it did turn out after all this time and all this chat that the solution was putting Stuart Dallas in central midfield. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and it's something that we've talked about a lot anyway, the the fact that it feels as though Click and Rodrigo are too similar in in terms of the way that they're they're playing. And so um, it shouldn't be any surprise that, you know, having maybe a more defensive minded player in that position would would make a big difference. Um, I suppose it looks like Rodrigo is going to be out for a bit anyway, so we'll get a good chance to see what that midfield of Click. is. Dallas and uh uh, click Dallas and Calvin Phillips looks um so hopefully we'll we'll get a better sense of that but my my suspicion is and this is and this is something that we've talked a lot about recently anyway with with Rodrigo is that Rodrigo is clearly a very very talented player he's clearly um he's clearly I think a better player creatively than click although I think that to to word it that way is maybe a bit of a disservice to click because I think click is very creative too um my issue, I think, with the Rodrigo substitution that we've again talked about, uh, the transfer, sorry, that we've talked about at length, is the fact that it doesn't feel as though the upside that you get from um, Rodrigo balances off against the downsides, um, something that I've watched back in the game um, from Sunday. And I do think that, I think that Rodrigo is fine um, in possession. I just think out of possession, he, he just breaks down our press just a slight bit and it makes it just gives an in for for oppositions to find space and and break through our press and so I think if you balance the the obvious upsides of his creativity, the fact that you know he's played at you know the highest levels of the game both internationally and and domestically um and in in Europe as well, and the fact that he can he's an intelligent player he can read space can and can find those passes that that maybe other players can't I just think that that's let down a little bit by um the the fact that we are are um, pressing it is falling to pieces a little bit sometimes with him in the, in the team. And again, that's something else I put out on the Twitter account this morning was just comparing the the numbers of press, uh, pressing actions that we did in the um, attacking third in the last few games. So since the first Newcastle game that we played, um, the, there's been a sort of steady decline in the number of uh, press, pressures that we've had in the attacking third. And that's obviously showing that, that the... Um, the quality of the forward press is breaking down. And um, in the game yesterday, we were back up at, I think it was 40 pressures after having been like down in the 20s in the last few games. So um, I think we've clearly done something by bringing in Click and, and having Dallas there that allows, and again, it, it will be structural as well, but it does allow us to be slightly better in the forward press. And I think that adds to um, some of the problems that have emerged in in recent weeks.
0: Just quickly, John, uh, just just rega- regarding the Rodrigo signing, um, and, I, and we've done this to death on the podcast, so I won't spend too long on it, but I do wonder if we might view it a, a little bit differently had, say, Bamford got like a two-month injury in October or whatever, and then then you've got a player who can play up front or in midfield, and possibly the transfer might look like slightly better value for money if he'd if Bamford hadn't been so good. Essentially,
1: yeah, I agree with that. I, I suppose the way that I look at it is that, that we had more pressing concerns to to fix than than bringing in another eight. Now we've just got actual pressing concerns. Yeah, now we've just got actual pressing concerns. Um, but I think no, in terms of you know, click has come back in. And replace Rodrigo fine, I think, um, which suggests to me that we could maybe have got an upside by spending that money on a position where we probably could have uh, improved, namely this, the 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 other central midfield position as well. So, but this is a, an argument that we that could go on forever, and um, I I don't think it's that important. But we've we've mentioned you mentioned Stuart Dallas, um, Tom Woodhead, Tom Alderson. We had a question from Chris Kirk who said, "Has Dallas showed what impact a more balanced eight gives this side? Was superb today, a real box to box player rather than an eight slash is Click plays it. Dallas limited passing and pace can be improved upon but what a pro big incremental gains in points if we fix le- left back and eight so what do you make of that yeah
2: um, I definitely agree with that if i just just um, come back to the pressing for a second because um, I'm actually attempting to r- write an article on Click at the moment and what my impression is is that Click's more inclined to press with Dallas in there because he's not worried I, f- I think it's because he's worried about r- what Rodrigo's not doing more than what he is doing um, and I think with having Dallas there, as you've mentioned, that he's more—he's happy to move out wide, happy to go up, stay centre mid, midfield, go deep. He's—he sort of lets Click sort of have that freedom, which is what with um, it helps him sort of perform. Uh, we've seen in the games like Arsenal or what his better performances a couple of months ago. Um, and another thing with Dallas that I kind of noticed yesterday was he's prepared. He was prepared to sort of drop deep and help with build up again, either going out wide or going more central, which is something that we used to see Click do, and I don't think we see that as much as we used to do, which is weird because I, I don't know. It's just Click was doing that with mostly with Hernandez last year. Um, so again, it's like he's the less attacking of the eights, and I don't know why he's not doing it this year. I don't know if he's been told to, or frankly, it might just be knackered. I don't, I don't know. He has. He this is the first time he's kind of getting a rest for about two years. Um, but yeah, it's definitely definitely having Dallas there yesterday brings more balance, and I I just think for for me it could I don't I think it could be a role that Shackleton could do. Um, I don't know what you think of that, and then you you can move Dallas back because I don't I just think it's more Dallas is more with his positioning than than the technical side, and I think Shackleton is good enough to do that role as well.
0: I reckon what um, the answer would be if you, if you got an honest answer from Bielsa about this is like if you look at that third goal we scored where Dallas gets the ball in the left back slot he holds off the opposition player plays a nice pass um, and to click and then click puts Bamford in Shackleton would probably not have been able to hold that player off I don't think he's strong enough so I think I think the downsides with Shackleton are physical and not, not in terms of pace and things like that but uh, just in terms of presence and you see a similar thing with Paveda like they're just not quite as um, as muscular and as 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 able to withstand heavy treatment as Dallas is. And I, I think that's why Dallas ends up playing so much when... I think if, if you pulled the fan base, most people would want to see more of Shackleton, I think. But uh, I do think Bielsa... Um, I, I mean, you can't get around it. You can't suddenly become incredibly strong. I mean, it is possible that Shackleton could bulk up in the next two or three years, because I think you do get short players who manage to do it. But... Um, At the moment, he does look a bit physically frail in comparison to most of our squad.
1: I think it's important as well to, it seems like a lot of people are always kind of thinking, what's our perfect midfield? As though you can just settle on a midfield and that's that. And I think the edge that we get from Bielsa is that there's obviously much more flexibility in the way that we play everything is system-based so it's not as if he's just going to be like right I've got our three best midfielders and now I'm happy with this orientation it's going to be very much dependent on on what happens and I think yesterday Dallas played well because he didn't have quite he wasn't under quite so much pressure in midfield but there will be teams that we'll play against and and no doubt it will happen in the next few games when Dallas will will look poor in midfield because um in in possession phases he he is put under a little bit more pressure and um he he isn't able to help us in the build-up quite so much so that's that's just sort of the the trade-off that you get so I think it's important to remember that a lot of this is just sort of thinking on your feet and that was what was so great for me about the game yesterday was that Bielsa thought on his feet saw that it wasn't working in the original setup that we had against the 3-4-3 and then switched it around so um I think um it's important to to remember those things too. Um I've really not not structured the questions here very well because we've basically talked about all the questions that we've got <laughs> but we had a couple of questions about the press which we've already covered but let's let's just ask them and, and and see if there's anything more that we want to add so jake rusby said feel our press was a little bit savvier than the reverse fixture and we were happier to let less have the ball and pick them off is there any stats to support this not quite a plan b but it seems to me be also subtly adjusted and learned from last time around great result buzzing and then sean says maybe just me but there seem to be occasions which click held back and let their goalkeeper and spare center half have the ball rather than press. Did we not press as much as normal in their defensive third? Uh it seemed to help us to stand off at times, but this sort of stats may not back this up and I mean I've already talked about the stats we pressed them more this time round than we did last time round in the in the front in in the, in the attacking third, but I think a lot of that came from the fact that Jack Harrison was was able to take up the press and and Click was able to sit a bit deeper. But I do think uh, I'm interested in you guys' opinion as well. I did feel as though we pressed a little bit less aggressively in f- forward areas, so it felt as though um, we were happy to allow their 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 back four or back three, depending on when it was in the game, to hold the ball a bit longer. And I don't know whether or not it's because Leeds. Appreciated that their back back line wasn't quite so good at, at at sort of trundling forward with the ball as some other teams are. But did either of you notice anything about the the pressing um, on Sunday?
0: I definitely did. Um, while watching the game, uh, anecdotally, it seemed a bit more. We like we were doing slightly more of a Liverpool style press, which was something I noticed at the start of the season um, when we played Liverpool. Was that they would they press in? It, it, in some ways, it's just as intense, but it's not as you said as as you said at the time it's more about blocking off passing lanes. and i think from the um when their center backs had the ball at the back i definitely did notice that it did, and then you know once once the ball came into the middle third and the final third i think we were pressing pretty much as we normally do but yeah definitely that initial press when their center backs have the ball I, I noticed the difference
1: yeah it almost felt as though the leads were holding back until The ball arrived, and then and then sort of using that as a pressing trigger rather than what seems to be the case, which is as soon as the ball's moved, the press is triggered. Um, There was a few times I think where it it was almost as though Leeds were waiting to see what the centre backs were going to do before moving, rather than allowing them to just sort of plunder space on the other side of the on the other side of the field, and it clearly worked well.
0: And I think I think as well because uh, there there was at least one occasion, possibly more, when Johnny Evans did run out with the ball, Um, but I think because we were using Harrison as that extra man up front um and we, we he wasn't able to run through the middle in quite the same way um and he just sort of ran eventually when he got to the center circle there were players there so he couldn't do that thing of running through our entire team that center backs seemed to be doing up until recently
1: i think what i liked about the way that we pressed as well was it seemed as though um it seemed as though Harrison was mainly tracking wesley fafana who was playing as a as the right sided centre back in the three. And he was pushing quite high up as well because Pereira was pushing quite high up as well because Madison was pulling inside, so he was leaving him space down the line. And it was almost as though it was almost as though they ended up at times playing as though they were back four. And so Bamford could still sit between the two other centre backs, so Soyuncu and, and Evans, and he could sort of move backwards and forwards between those two, as Harrison only really worried about Fafana and then closing down the passing lane occasionally and and pressing onto Evans. Um, but I think that that worked really well as well, and I think that might be a good way of getting. A, I think when we, sometimes we have such a fluid press that it breaks down because um, there's there's uncertainty about whose responsibility is who in the back line, um, especially in a back three. Uh, is it the is it the wide players who are supposed to be pushing on to the the outside centre backs, or is it the the central midfielder who is? Do we do that weird V-shaped press that we do sometimes when Rodrigo will push the left-sided centre back and Bamford the right-sided centre back, and they sort of sw- switch between the number. Uh, the the defensive uh, midfielder in, in between it, and it can become very very confusing I think and so yesterday it just again it felt as though everyone knew what their responsibility was and and it just made the the press a little bit tighter as well
0: yeah I, I think especially um Harrison uh always shines when he has something very specific to do uh I think the games when he struggles tend to be the ones where you know you're the left winger sort of get on with it and and you know maybe some of the specific tactical instructions are to do with other players but I think when you give Harrison a, like a slightly more unusual role like this like he's done this uh pressing thing a few times he's he's also played as a sort of quasi left wing back a few times and I think he does tend to shine in those situations where he's given really specific instructions because that obviously helps with the decision making process and that's as we all know one of his weaknesses I also think he's probably one of our
1: better pressers, and he's also probably one of our most mobile players in terms of his athleticism, and I think that makes a real difference um, when you're pressing the, the the back line in particular. And it just it just felt so much more tight the the forward press in this game than it has done in other games. Like I agree with what you're saying. Like they were allowed to, um, they were letting the centre back sort
2: of um, run out. But when they had like their their body to our goal, but when oh, I think what we did quite a lot was sort of. Go hit the ball sort of long, sometimes over the top of them, and then like other teams have done to us, press them when they were had had their uh, body to their own goal, um, because it was harder for them to, for them to play out, um, and I, yeah, I just think it was in, that's just something that we've seen work well against us, and I wonder if that's a reason that
1: we've picked that up. Against the four-two-three-one, I noticed that there was just we were just finding space in the wide areas in behind their full-backs all the time, and I think that's why Rodgers changed things up as well a, a lot because you know even if Leeds are being put under pressure, um, which I didn't think they were so much, you still have that out ball which is you can just f- fly the ball down into into Rafinha or Harrison, and and they're attacking the centre back the two centre backs because the centre back. Uh, moves over to cover the space and it just stretched their team so much I think that's largely why um um Rod- Rodgers wanted to turn things around and I think that you know the pressing also worked there I do think it's true I think you know we did high press it wasn't as though we just dropped off a high press it was just when the in build-up phases in particular when Leicester had the ball and it looked like they could maybe move the ball around, find some space in the centre backs, drive into it. It felt like we were a little bit more hesitant to go forward in those situations. And um, it just, it I, I felt that, that 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 passive approach actually added a lot more to our forward press because we didn't just end up with um with players all over the place. Although that said, I think when we played against the 3-4-3 originally with our usual sort of 4-4-2 structure with the central midfielder pushing forward to, as almost like a striker out of possession, um, we felt like the structure fell apart so quickly. It was so easy for them to move us around and find space. Um, that that's why Bielsa then switched into that. Into I guess it was it was almost like a three-five-two. I think someone described it as well. Where because because um, um, Dallas was tracking Harris, uh, tracking Mad- Madison, and Madison was coming inside. It, it just sort of looked like there was an extra midfielder, an extra person in the midfield, and uh, I think that made a big difference. Um, yeah, but one more question on midfield, and I think this is interesting from Jacob Stambridge because he says, to put a different spin on the midfield question, what situations can you see where it would benefit us to have both Rodrigo and Click in midfield, given the better balance we have when only one plays? Um, I don't know if either of you have any thoughts on this.
2: Yeah, if a team that is going to press us more intensely in that midfield area... Um, which will then show up um show up like Dallas's inability um sort of in those build up phases where you've got got less time on the ball then it suits Rodrigo and Click but I don't I would almost be tempted by Roberts because I just think it's something different whereas I think Rodrigo and Click is exactly they're pretty much the same in what they'd looking to do um but yeah if we're trying to break a team down maybe late in the game then obviously what you'd want Rodrigo and Click on there probably more than you'd want I don't know Stuart Dallas or anyone else really.
1: I was thinking maybe the 352 is the best situation when we might see that. So I don't know whether or not when we play Sheffield United we'll end up matching their 352 with our own 352 but then you would expect Maybe Rodrigo to play as a second striker. It depends what you play with with Harrison, I suppose, because you could. We've seen Harrison play as a second striker in a three-five-two as well. But I, I could see the three-five-two being a, con, a context where you could fit both of them on the field at the same time. Maybe not in midfield, but even still, you know, if if you can get Phillips behind them, and um, yeah, you, you you have that coverage. I, I think it's probably not not too bad to do it there. Right, we need to talk about Pascal because we had lots of questions about Pascal, which was which was lovely. I can't believe you've lasted this long, John, without talking <laughs> yeah, about Pascal. Well, you know, I'm, I feel as though my work here is done, and so I'm sort of toning down the Pascal stuff a bit uh, at the moment. But um, we had a couple of questions. So uh, one of our patrons, Tom Marsden, uh, messaged in saying, "Strout looking comfortable playing right centre back against the top six side, albeit not against Jamie Vardy." We got to see more of the two sided passing range we've heard about from the Leeds camp. I know you guys talk about Strout. Uh, a lot, but I'd be interested to hear where you think his true ceiling is after a game like this. Also, shout out to Paddy B for that top bins beauty today, uh, and then Geisley, friend of the podcast, said an analysis of Pascal. Maybe his recent performances at centre back have been superb. So, uh, Tom Woodhead, did you want to wax lyrical about Pascal?
0: Yeah, I thought he was great. Um, we were saying uh, off air. I, I personally think he has had better games this season, even though I thought he was very good yesterday. Um, primarily. Um, in possession, I think he's had better games. Even though he did make some great passes yesterday, th- there were some sloppy ones as well. But I thought defensively, he was pretty much spot on. Um, he always seemed to be where he needed to be. He always seemed to have his man when he needed to, or and made the right decision to leave his man when he had to. Uh, he, he was mostly decent with both feet, um, uh, and I think it definitely works better with him on the right and Cooper on the left. When we when we play the two of them, you know, we've tried both of those now and uh, there might have been defensive reasons why we did it against Newcastle but f- for me, I'm not sure they would ever overcome the offensive or, or the possession based reasons uh, for putting Strike on the right, I just think he's a lot more comfortable using his right foot than Cooper is So, and, and Cooper also had a great game yesterday um, like one of his best of the season as well I think so um, it, it looks like a decent partnership for now
1: And Tom Hullison, what would you answer as to the question about his true ceiling after a game like that?
2: I just think um, a starting centre-back in for hopefully what is good, will end up being a mid-table Premier League team pushing for Europa League.
0: Reach for the stars, Tom. <laughs> yeah, I,
2: I, yeah. I'd, I'd, he's not as good as, I don't think he's like top four level, but I, th- I think he's if he started every game from now, I'd be quite happy with him and I think he'd only get better and he'd probably get better at the level that um, Leeds are going to get better, hopefully.
1: I mean, I'm obviously a bit higher on um, on Pascal than that, but it's always an interesting one with centre backs. I mean, the 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 player who always comes to my mind is someone like Virgil van Dijk, who is now acknowledged as being one of the best centre backs in the world, if not the best centre back in the world. Um, and for a long, long time, I don't think anyone ever really saw him as being a potentially brilliant, um, um like elite level centre back, and it's it it does very much depend on um, you know what team you're playing for right the the sorts of things that the Van Dijk is doing um, are really highlighting some of the strengths that he was never able to highlight when he was at Southampton or Celtic for example Um, so I don't know I, I, I think one Pascal is very young he's only 21 this is his first year in senior football and he's he's I think he's playing really well for for a, a youngster in his first season in Premier League football. Um, I, I I expect that one day he will be at a side that plays Champions League football. There you go, I've said it. Um, Tom Tom Woodhead, um, do you want to dampen dampen the spirit slightly?
0: I I wouldn't I wouldn't say that's impossible. So I mean, if if you if you're talking about ceilings, I always think that the the way to analyze it, um, and obviously you can never be quite sure, is to think what deficiencies does the player have that can't be reasonably overcome in the fullness of time, and I think the only one of strikes that I could say is that his pace on the turn I don't think is ever going to be at the very top level um uh but it doesn't necessarily need to be to be a great great center back so uh you know will he be end up being one of the best center backs of all time I don't think he's he's quite <laughs> he's quite got that chance, but I can't see any other um parts of his game that couldn't get better. Uh, you know even even the slight deficiencies in his game i can not most of them i think could be improved with time and i think we've we've talked
1: about it in the group chats as as his issues being maybe uh being more um in, 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 in enforcing himself on games a little bit more like we there, there seems to be a little bit of a lack of confidence there at times um we hear from training that you know he's one of the best passers with both of his feet and we see that at times in games but we don't see i don't think we we see him sort of enforcing that in games as much as he could Um, I think he's also perfectly fine at carrying the ball out and we saw that in the Tottenham game I think but there's other games as well where you you kind of think he could there's more he could do Uh, he could um, really enforce himself in games a little bit a little bit better and I think that's, that's the sort of improvement that is very well within his capability it's not it's not something that's going to be hard to learn it's just a a question of him becoming more confident and the more that he plays the the more that development trajectory will will continue so it's just great having a a player coming through your youth system and then and then making it into the team even in the Premier League I think that's that's the exciting thing for me.
0: I think he's got he's got a good story as well like the fact he was let go by Ajax at quite a you know a young age and came to a an English championship team it's not really a a very standard progression for a player who ends up playing at Premier League level. I don't think normally, I think Ajax would would normally think if they thought the player had any chance of playing for them, they wouldn't have released him. So, you know, fair play to him for coming back for that and, you know, getting into a Premier League team
1: and there was the story about after the Cardiff game when he, was, he wanted to leave because he felt he'd let the team down um, so th- it's quite nice to see that that sort of turnaround especially because you know the game that he comes in um, for Leeds at the end of last season is the the Barnsley game right into the, that central defensive midfield position and, and absolutely no one was expecting that to sort of end up with him becoming pretty regular in the first team this season so it's, it, it is quite a good story as well I do agree. Um, one more question before we, we move on um, let's talk about Helder Costa. um Brolin ate the pie. asks Is Costa's la- lack of match impact now a consistent theme? And an output a clarion call for a under twenty three bench replacement or an alarm bell to move him on at the end of the season? Uh, Tom Alderson, you're a you're a bit of a you've been a bit of a fan of, of Helder Costa. How are you feeling about him now?
2: I would move him on at the end of the season because I think if you can get some of the money back, you can improve the squad elsewhere, and we don't. Do we need four wingers? I don't know. That seems to be the only place that we actually quite like having depth or Bielsa quite likes having depth. Um, I'd still keep him on the bench because I don't think there's anyone... I don't know. You're more clued up on the under-23s than me, John, about some, uh, someone that could uh, come in and do a better job. But he just looks like he's a man with no confidence and lacking game time and I think... it's. A, I don't. Know, we're, not, we're obviously not in the FA Cup and he just he can't... The only way he's going to get that is in the under-23s and he's too good for that level. So it's just a difficult one but yeah if he's if there isn't space for him if if pervade is ahead of him in the pecking order which it seems to be then i'd move him on and get someone else in if we can
1: i think we've never really answered the question of how who do you have as a backup to Jack Harrison on the right-hand side? I'd quite like to see that being the the the, the position that's targeted and then you just have Perveda and Rafinha on the on the right. I'd like to see someone brought in on the left who, maybe even a right-sided um, winger, a right-footed winger, I guess, which we don't really have.
0: Crazy talk. Right-footed player. What's that about?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's disgusting. Sedition. I might hand myself in at the, uh, at the club shop. Um, Tom Woodhead, what's your take on Costa?
0: It's an interesting one. I mean, I've, I obviously, obviously, there's no time to do it now, anyway. But I wouldn't let him go now. You know, it would, it would be at the end of the season if we do let him go. But things can change very quickly. Uh, he was playing relatively well at the start of the season. You know, and if Rafinha gets a, you know, a two month injury, then I think it probably would be Costa who came into the team rather than Perveda, Even though uh, Bielsa tends to prefer Perveda in terms of changing games. Um, I think he would probably trust Costa more with the defensive side. And even though Costa really did play badly in possession when he came on yesterday, uh, yesterday I do think he do, he has the pressing down and he, and he knows what he's supposed to be doing uh, in the, all the different defensive phases of the game. And I don't think you can underestimate that. So I would only want to bring in a player to replace him who was... Obviously, a great prospect, and obviously has the potential to be quite a lot better than Costa, or is already quite a lot better than Costa. I wouldn't, I don't see the point in dicking around, you know, bringing in someone who's about as good and might be a tiny bit better, um, because you know he knows what he, he knows what he needs to do now. So um, I, th- I think it, we would have to find the right target, but I agree it would be nice, especially to have a right-footed winger, just so we've got um, that 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 option to change it up. And um, one final question, um, a short,
1: a short question with a short answer, hopefully, um, but from our friend Mickey Pika. Give me one good reason why we can't finish top seven, Tom Woodhead. Uh, fate. <laughs> Fair enough. Tom Alderson. Uh, there's seven teams better than us. <laughs> yeah, I'll go with that too. Um, you're looking at, I, I guess, one of we'd have to finish ahead of one of Chelsea, Tottenham, West Ham. I think. Uh, Villa give or take well. Everton, Villa, yeah, and even, I guess, Arsenal, uh, given their recent results. So I just don't think that given the situation that we're in now that we'll, we'll make up that difference. But there we are. I do, I do think that um, a, mid fi- mid, a mid-table finish is not to be sniffed at and something that I would have bitten your hand off for at the beginning of the season. Absolutely. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. Let's move on to talk about the Everton game on Wednesday this week. I was lucky enough to talk to Joel Parker of Toffee Analytics and Between the Posts, and this is what he had to say about Everton. So, Joel, hi, how are you doing? I'm not too bad, thanks. How are you? I'm doing very well. I'm just hot off the back of a League United win against Leicester. So these are the moments we live for, isn't it?
3: Yes, I thought you'd be. Uh, I thought <laughs> you'd be very, very impressed about that. Whilst our weekend can. Uh... Can be forgotten about instantly, I guess. (laughs) Don't really want to speak too much more about it, but here we are. (laughs)
1: Yeah, well, we'll we'll try and gloss over that if we can, but...
3: Happy days.
1: Let's talk a little bit about about Everton, though. Um, We're just past the halfway point of the season, and Everton are well in the hunt for European places. You must be pretty happy with how the season's gone so far.
3: Yeah, it's been pretty remarkable. Uh, Before the season, I originally predicted us to be ninth. Uh, That was before we signed Rodriguez, Decore and Alan. But um, yeah, in terms of results, in terms of the squad that we currently have, we've been punching well above our weight.
1: At the same time, as you've mentioned, um, Everton do feel like a a bit of a changeable team at the moment. They'll go toe-to-toe with Leicester and then lose to Newcastle. So what do you make of this aspect of Everton this season?
3: Well, in that European race, I, I guess Everton are kind of the ugly duckling out of the teams that are there. We're good at making games slow. And unattractive, but it's not always to our benefit. Uh, in a way, both games were distinctly similar, with Everton trying to create the slowest tempo that they possibly could throughout the 90. Uh, we've seen similar performances throughout the season, having said that. And truth be told, we have probably been lucky to accumulate the amount of points that we have. I mean, considering we picked up wins against the likes of Arsenal, Wolves, Fulham, uh, even Sheffield United, all those wins had... Long periods where Everton didn't really look that attractive. And if those games had been last season, you could easily argue that we could have lost those games. So, just in them handful, you know, their victories have made a big difference.
1: With all that in mind, what sort of finishing position are you expecting from Everton this time around?
3: I guess it's difficult to say at this moment in time. Uh, I don't think anyone was expecting us to be fighting for European football, I don't think it was really an achievable aim um but the points needed for a top 4 finish are going to be historically low um but at the same time you have such an abundance of teams that all have the same aims and goals that we do
1: so what do you think the biggest challenge is going to be for you in the second half of the season
3: i guess it's going to be dealing with injuries and absentees i mean outside the the first team squad our depth is very limited um moyes king was already out on loan today or might have been yesterday, we announced that St. Tosin is also going back out on loan to Besiktas. Now, both strikers not comparable to the effect that Calvert-Lewin has had, but now it just leaves Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison as our only viable options up front. Uh, really, we need to find other ways to, to progress and break down teams as well, rather than just pass to Rodriguez and let him do his thing. Uh, the one of Everton's major problems has been that midfield is not really creative. And as I've mentioned, they're, they're relying on a slow tempo to, to even look comfortable when building in possession. But maybe Everton should have twisted in the transfer market rather than stuck to their guns. But I guess we'll see how that plans out towards the end of the season.
1: What did you make of the last game between Leeds and, and Everton? Uh, that one, they were a few, <laughs> few months back.
3: I'd pretty much say it's what we anticipated uh, Everton were incapable of dealing with that man orientation that I'm sure you guys have been raving about under Bielsa. Um, in that game in particular, Ancelotti played a 3-4-3 um, with Tom Davis and Alex Iwobi as wingbacks. Now, I thought both were okay. Defensively, they were okay, but Leeds targeted that and both that, that's one of the major issues in a, in a 3-4-3 is that Your wing backs can be very isolated and that's what we saw. Um, The balance within that Everton team was completely off and it was demonstrated by just Calvin Phillips completely orchestrating things in acres of space, had some beautiful switches throughout. Um, And at the end of the game, I suppose the fact that there was 37 shots and the fact that only ended 1-0 was pretty remarkable.
1: What do you think we'll see differently from Carlo Ancelotti this time around? Because, as you mentioned, he probably got the tactics wrong last time around. So I don't think we'll see the 3-4-3 again. But what do you make of it?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, in fact, he changed um, he changed the formation in-game during the next game against Burnley, um, which was back to the 4-3-3. And up until recent games, that's what we've, we've seen, but not to the same effect as what we saw at the start of the season. Um, within this four three three we're often seeing the and Sigurdsson picked as the two centre midfielders on on the wide, who sort of move into the wide flanks. Um but both have real attacking tendencies, you know, they were they were moving quite forward before play was even being constructed, which just left whoever was playing at six completely isolated within their areas. Um but more recently we're starting to see um more of a four, two, three, one as Rodriguez has come back in and he's playing more central as a 10. Uh, But once again, there's there's a huge reliance on him to create stuff and make things happen in the middle third. I don't think Ancelotti will change anything drastic, but he is pragmatic and Everton have hit a stale phase at this stage of the season.
1: Beyond that, how would you say that Everton have changed tactically this season? Has there been much tweaking?
3: Yes, and for the better, but... There's also new habits that have been creaking in and they've been quite evident in recent games. The addition of Rodriguez has changed that by the fact that he really roams everywhere, loves to drop into pockets, loves the ball at his feet, always looking to switch the play towards the left. Um, And also within that, that, the disastrous pressing that we saw under Marco Silva at the start of last season has now completely vanished, even with teams... Uh, slowing down their high press and setting up more in a medium block, Everton were already heading that way uh, regardless of COVID anyway. So it's not too much of a surprise. We're a better team, but uh, as I said, there's there's also deficiencies. Um, For example, once Everton are in the lead, Ancelotti demands that his team sit back and defend with all the men behind the ball. Um, And the problem with that is that there's no real outpass, so Everton will sit in this this rest defence uh, without sparking any kind of transition. So our attacking play just just dies <laughs> Inst- instantly when we try and uh, try and do things, uh, try and defend games. That is, um, whilst also when we're sitting in this rest defence, Everton's not really that compact, um, most notably in the middle because. One of the midfielders always tends to step up, most notably with Decore. Um, steps up and goes to press, and that just leaves a massive gap inside for any team with a creative number ten to take advantage of that. I mean, we've seen Bruno Fernandez uh, do that a couple of times against us this season. Absolutely, just tear us apart just because he's demanding the ball in that space. In that space. So, Everton still remain pretty basic in possession. Uh, Rodriguez creates that flexibility, but without his movement, Everton cannot create efficient chances.
1: Can you just explain to the listeners what you mean by a rest defence?
3: A rest defence, I'm mostly talking about teams that defend as a low block. So, your, your Newcastles and Burnleys do this quite often. But Everton do this as well when they're looking to see games out, and that can be as early as the start of the second half, Everton will defend in a more well aiming to try and be compact, but without really being compact.
1: Since you were on the podcast last time around, you really raved about Dominic Calvert Lewin. Um, he's really gone off the boil since then. So, what do you think happened with him? Short of you cursing him,
3: <laughs> I think um, I think his chances and, and services have absolutely vanished within the periods of Everton's structure, basically going off. Uh, at the start of the season, we've seen Calvert-Lewin were seeing calvert lewin have 4 or five shots a game, but now he's he's barely managing one or two, and that's mostly due to the structure just completely vanishing. Uh, up until the Burnley game, uh, which was played just after our previous encounter with Leeds, uh, he scored 11 times off 0.81 expected goals per game, uh, and since then he hasn't scored in the league. Um which has been seven games since and only 0.27 expected goals per 90, which is an incredible drop-off in comparison to what we were seeing at the start of the season. He still does great things on and off the ball, uh, still very dominant in the air, but overall uh, the decline of our chance creation has impacted him the most. Uh, And of course, we've only scored... One in one goal inside of the penalty area from open play in our last nine games.
1: Let's talk a little bit about injury wise at the moment. How are you looking?
3: Uh, we're looking a lot better in comparison to uh, our previous game uh, when we had both Lucas Digne and Seamus Coleman, uh, who were both missing from that game. Uh, currently, our biggest omission is Alan, which has proven to be quite a big loss in that midfield because. Out of our midfielders, he's, he's the only one that really defends at sort of the Adrisa Guy levels that we were seeing a couple of years ago, and no one's really replicated that other than himself. So he's been a big miss. Um, he's out with a thigh injury that he picked up just before Christmas, um, whilst Fabian Delph and Gabamin are also completely non-existent with recurring injuries. So other than that, Everton have got... Virtually a fully fit squad.
1: So how are you going to line up on Wednesday then?
3: Uh, it's difficult to say. Um, Ancelotti always, he, he tends to mix things up. And as things have gone not as well recently, it could be a big changes. But personally, in my opinion, I think he's going to, to stick with that 4-3-3. Um, so within that, you'll have Jordan Pickford in goal, Seamus Coleman and Lucas Digne as fullbacks. And, um, Yerry Mina and Michael Keane as the centre-backs, who both have been quite good for us this season, it must it must be said. Um, Tom Davis in that sixth position, uh, Decore and Andre Gomez as our midfielders, and then the front three of Rodriguez, Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin.
1: And you know this, but a question I ask every time is, which players on the Everton M&M side need to perform well to beat Leeds? So who are you going for this time around?
3: Hopefully Tom Davis will be... Back in that midfield, I think he provides more mobility and can deal with a a higher intensity that obviously Leeds do provide. Um, So he's going to be an important asset, whether he's selected or not. Um, As well as him, uh, the two players on the left, who are Luca Dean and Richarlison, uh, also really need to return to form. And the attacking output that we've come to associate them with has kind of dropped over recent weeks so to see them two back doing things in the final third would be very very good for us indeed
1: and at the other side of the pitch which Leeds players worry you the most
3: well Leeds are very capable of uh playing through our kind of it's sort of a zonal zonal marking medium block I guess that Everton play against Leicester I noticed Luke Ayling was particularly good at, at kind of baiting presses that were near him um Doing this by remaining quite deep when you've received possession, and that also encouraged rotation down that that right side, um, which Leeds often aim to to play through at that time. So he's a player that I definitely think will have uh, a lot of influence down that right side, and also you have you have such a great crop of creative midfielders. You know, Rafinha, Harrison, uh, Click, all capable of making top opportunities. Um, and it's good to have such options and not be heavily one-dimensional like we are at recent times.
1: And again, you know, I don't uh, ask for predictions, but I am interested in how you think the game is going to flow. So how do you expect the game to go on Wednesday?
3: I'm not expecting a nice game, uh, to be honest. I know when we was discussing pre-pod that you said that you were a bit easier to play through than what was apparent in the first game, but... I think the way that this Everton team is currently laid out, it's still going to be very, very difficult. I think we'll mound one or two chances, maybe from a nice Hammers pass or some heavy lifting from a direct ball to Calvert-Lewin. But I'm really expecting a difficult game. We struggle against teams who play with real high intensity and none are higher than Leeds United.
1: Well, Joel, it's great having you on again, as always. What's the best way for people to pick up the stuff that you're putting out there?
3: So my Twitter handle is at Joelissimo. Um, from there, you can see the uh, match reports that I put up, not just from Everton, but from all the games across Europe. Uh, make sure you also follow at Between the Posts. Uh, we've got so many good writers on the website, and it's a pleasure to write for them. And make sure you also follow at Toffee Analysis uh, if you're just looking for Everton-related stuff.
1: Well, thanks so much for coming on again, mate
3: thank you very much pleasure to be on and here's to a good game hopefully
1: so that was joel parker of toffee analytics and between the posts Uh, i have to apologize that i clearly messed up my microphone on that one so uh, the quality of my audio wasn't quite so pristine as i like it to be so apologies on that but um let's just jump in tom alderson what sort of questions did that raise in your mind listening to joel there
2: so one thing he said was that there's quite a lot of space for a ten um, playing against Everton, and he then said Alan was out, who I've um, whenever I've watched, I think's done quite well this season, um, and I just think with Tom Davis playing there, they won't be as strong. Um, so I think this is this a game that could potentially suit Click because as we've mentioned a lot already in this podcast that with potentially with Dallas there instead of Rodrigo, it might sort of free him up to do. Um, but free him out to play just as a number ten that he likes, without having to do sort of the defensive work which can be done by Dallas. Um, so yeah, I think I think for me is this. I think we could see almost like a return to form of Click because he's been off off the boil in the last
1: month or two. Yeah, what do you make of that, Tom Woodhead? Do you do you see Click having a good game against Everton?
0: Yeah, I don't see why not, and I definitely agree about Allen. Um, I've always been very impressed whenever I've seen him. And when I was listening to this, I, uh, I, 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 I slightly. Um, switched off a little bit at the point he was talking about Alan. so I went to Google to check what the exact injury status was and it's just like a series of articles, like uh, all from late December up to the present day all headlines, something along the lines of Ancelotti sets date for Alan returns so it's not just us who have these players that seem to be always just on the cusp of returning and it never actually happens.
2: The Brazilian Adam Forshaw. <laughs> <Yeah.
1: laughs>
0: the thing I found quite interesting about this, um, and it, it's not just an Everton specific point but uh, the listening to this interview gave me the idea was that the teams in the league that rely on most on one player to get their, their creativity are probably Aston Villa with Jack Grealish, Everton with James Rodriguez and Manchester United with Bruno Fernandes I think most people would agree with that. Now Man United have other noted characteristics that we find extremely difficult to deal with like breaking with pace and um Things like that, but in terms of all the creativity stemming from one single point, I think it's probable that our man marking system and just how used to it our players are, um, it, it's really at its best when we're facing these kind of um, mono creative teams that where everything funnels through one player. I think we're almost built to play against teams with a with a you know really defined playmaker. So I am hopeful for this game.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point, and um, you know I found. Everton to be fairly meh this this season in terms of their structural side of things and they've very much relied on certain, uh, I guess certain um, vortices through their team, right? So we've talked about James Rodriguez. Uh, I think you've then got Dinia to Dominic Calvert-Lewin uh, and then you know give or take Richarlison um who's who's obviously a very active player and is is, is able to force things uh, out of games. And I think once you take those out of the equation and I think, you know, we've we've already we will go on to talk, I think, about Dominic Calvert Lewin and and Dina um and that 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 sort of interplay between those two going off the boil and then Dominic Calvert Lewin really struggling. Um I think he's he's not scored in something like seven games or something like that in, in the league. Um once you take those away what's what's kind of left with with um with a team like Everton, whereas I think for us we are always going to be that team that is typified by Patrick Bamford laying the ball across the the face of goal yesterday to Jack Harrison uh, because there's a realization that you know we are greater than the sum of our parts um and and we found that I think the first time around against Everton where you know they really didn't they really didn't stymie the sorts of things that we're very good at. Uh, Calvin Phillips had his best game in the Premier League, um, because he was just given so much space. Um, the playing a 3 4 3, they just left acres of space for our wingers to get into. Um, so I, I'm looking at this game with uh, quite positively in terms of I think that when it comes to the tactical battle, I think we'll be okay. That said, I didn't think we were going to beat Leicester. And we turned that around um, across the course of the season. And I thought we were going to be fine against Newcastle. And uh, they really turned things around in the second game against them. So um, I, I'm I'm sure that, you know, they are going to present us with a slightly different challenge in terms of the structure. And so with that in mind, let's talk about the structure because... Um I think uh, Joel said that that everton are likely to play in a four three three um we did a little bit of uh, of research beforehand, and it seems as though um Everton have been playing in largely four two three ones or four four twos according to transfer marked now it may be the case that there's a le- level of fluidity there um that w- that we aren't um ready to <laughs> uh, ready to take account for because you know we haven't watched through those games with with an eye to the structure but um how do you assuming that that everton played the four Three, three. How do you see us uh, uh, aligning up in this one?
2: Um, so I think it'll be just the, the back to the four-one-four-one, won't we? So it'll be. Um, I, I think we'll keep. It's a, it's an interesting one actually because I think I was about to say we'll keep Dallas in midfield, which you think we'd expect. But then that would, if it is the four-three-three from Everton, that would leave Alyoski against Rodriguez, and that's not something that uh, makes me sit comfortable. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm not sure, but yeah, I think four-one-four-one definitely. Um, I just, I'd struggle to pinpoint the who's actually going to play where, though, as always with Leeds.
0: Yeah, I think it'll be the same um, starting lineup apart from Click coming in for Rodrigo. That's if Rafinha's fit, but I think we may well see. Dallas at left back man marking Rodriguez and Alyoski in midfield which we have seen I can't remember the other game we saw was it was it against Everton again that we saw this yeah I the first time I think yeah. we might see that again if 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 Hammers is playing on the on the right wing
1: yeah I think that's probably probably right because then you can sort of have the um you can sort of have or even the inversion of 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 Dallas into help out in the in the because um, Evan will have two eights right so they'll have a um they'll have a I guess was it David? He said Davis and I think it was Ducore and Gomez. Yeah, so Ducore it'll be Ducore and Davis ahead of Gomez. I would have thought. Maybe I'll be wrong on that, but I think that's how they'll line up. They'll have like a slightly deeper player and then two eights. Uh, in which case, you've got to have Calvin Phillips and I, I guess <laughs> two other midfielders there. So maybe it will be um, Phillips with with Alioski alongside him, with then with Click ahead of him watching the. the the more defensive player and then uh, and then Dallas just tracking in um uh tracking on um Rodriguez um that's a possibility um it'll be interesting to see how that works out but um I again I think you know Phillips was given so much space last time um because there was just no pressure put on him whatsoever so hopefully that that should work out well for us um Assuming that they, I mean, I guess that I, I just can't see them coming out in a 3 4 3 because they're not doing that anymore. But, um, assuming they, they came out in a 4 2 3 1, which is basically exactly the same way around, right? But with two deeper players rather than the one. Um, so I guess they could play Davis and, and, um, Gomez side by side and have Decore in the 10 or even Ted Davis in the 10 and Decore in the, in the 2. And then I guess you just sort of stick to your formation four-four-one-four-one 4 1 4 1 perfectly because you then have, um phillips on the defensive player and then the two eights whoever they are uh, against the the um the two deeper central midfielders as well so i expect that will be the the way it will be anyone want to add anything on top of that
0: the only thing i'd say is that playing with a playing a 4231 which is one of the few formations that allows you to have a 10 and then not playing hamas rodriguez as the 10 it seems ludicrous to me but maybe i'm missing something
1: yeah and i think you said tom alderson that Rodriguez played as the 10 against Newcastle right
2: yeah cuz um that was when we, I watched the game on Saturday against Newcastle um which was horrendous but I'm glad I'm getting some use out of it um and I think we've I think Rodriguez did play as the 10 and it, a lot of the time he tended to drop deep or shift um shift to the wings uh, which is something that we've seen causes problems with Philip Philip sort of following the the 10 and that's leaving a lot of space so I think I think it will be well, Phillips will have to be quite disciplined if this is the case, um, just to make sure that he just do- doesn't leave that space. But I don't know, because I think Rodriguez, because he was dropping so deep, it kind of neutralised the threat and all he seemed to do was drop deep and then ping it out to Digne, And that just was, um, Newcastle were dealing with that fine. So I think it would probably be a case if if he does drop deep, Rodriguez, um, Phillips would be like, fine, go, go and do whatever you need to do. I'll I'll be here when you get back.
0: I think we have seen situations this season where, it's been Phillips and Dallas in midfield, and Dallas has actually taken the responsibility of man-marking the 10, and Phillips has taken one of the other midfielders, and I think it would probably be that. Uh, I think he trusts Dallas to man-mark a creative player more than anyone else, and he'll just he'll work the formation around that, in, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I think especially if you're playing against a team who have a 10, who moves... I, I think we did... I, I, Manchester United is a good example of that, because... Um, I guess Fernandez was playing as the ten, and he was dragging Phillips out everywhere. And it might be a, again another game. It might be another good game for us to play with Dallas as a as a as a, as a player who's actually sitting in behind Phillips and just man marking the creative player, and just allowing Phillips to then stay on the, the other two mid, one of the other two midfielders and then remain central most of the time um, and then cover that player who's going to drive forward into the space left behind the 10. Um, I'll be interested to see if we do this more after the game against Leicester where we, we clearly did that. Um, let's talk about Dina, Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison uh, because they are all players who are off the boil. How do we feel about facing... Uh, this Everton side, who obviously have a lot of talent, but they don't seem to be getting the most out of it at the
0: moment. Tom Woodhead, Dina didn't play the first game against Everton, did he? Is obviously a new threat that we'll have to worry about because he, he is one of their best players and didn't play in that game. Um, it's always interesting playing against players who are, you know, quote unquote, off the boil because it doesn't take much for them to get back up to boiling point, um, eventually, does it? So, uh, I, I, I mean. I think they're all good players and, and you can't really read too much into current form, I don't think. Um I do think with especially with players like Richarlison who are very dribble based, um, they can be if, if you know, if they're not on it then they offer almost nothing. So um it will be nice if, you know, he he keeps on playing, you know, not, not quite up to his level. And and Richarlison this is anecdotal, but it seems to me always to be one of these players who plays well in the first half of the season and not so well in the second half of the season. Maybe I'm basing that on one season at Watford or whenever it was. But
2: which Charleston tends to like drifting um, towards the centre and that leaves a lot of space over for Dini yeah, and that. What Newcastle were tending to do was they were letting him cross it in and just heading the ball away. Now, I, I can't see us uh, taking the same approach because I just don't think we're as... I don't know, I suppose we're pretty good in the end with Stro- uh, Stroik and Cooper there, but I just think we're, they they were letting Dini have the space and I just I can't see us doing that. Um, so it would be important for Rafinha to get back. Um, in terms of Calvert-Lewin, he just, I don't think he's getting the service um, in recent games, which is, and I, don't, I think he's still doing, it's very, very similar to Bamford in that he's doing all the off-the-ball work that you'd want him to do and he just... He just hasn't got that com- a confidence in goal or it not getting in the same opportunities that he was. And I think he's a, such, he's a good enough player that that could just switch. Put, all he needs is one decent chance and he, he could,
0: could score. Just needs one to go in off his arse, Tom. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so who needs to play well for Leeds on Wednesday if we're to get a result against Everton, Tom Woodhead?
0: I'll say Dallas again, uh, as he probably will be tasked with marking James in some form or another.
1: Uh, and Tom Alderson?
2: I, well, I, could, I could quite easily list half the team here, because um, <laughs> I think, well, Ayling will have to be, probably do similar with what he did against Barnes. I think after the first goal, he was fine with um Barnes dribbling at him, and I think Cooper almost was like sweeping up, so I think he'll be the same again against Rich, uh, Richarlison. I think Rafinha needs to cover Digne, but again, he did that well um, against Leicester. And then um, the centre-backs just need to not let Calvert-Lewin head the ball, basically. Um, Apart from that's everyone needs to have a good game. Basically, is what I'm getting.
1: (laughs) And so, how do we think that the game is going to pan out on on Wednesday, Tom Alderson?
2: Uh, Very similar to the first one. My guess is, and we're not supposed to give guesses, but I think one nil leads. I just think it would be tight. But I'm I'm quietly confident that we can we can win this one.
0: How about you, Tom Woodhead? Yeah, I I thought it was quite interesting that in the interview, Joel said that um, Everton try and slow the game down as much as possible and. I think when we were in the championship, they, those were the kind of teams that we struggled against the most. But now I think it's the opposite. And now we struggle against teams that try and play extremely quickly. And I think we do better against teams that try and slow the play down. So I'm hopeful that he's right and that they do try and slow everything down and that uh, we can impose ourselves on the game.
1: I'm quietly optimistic about this game, I think, especially because we've got three points against Leicester. So I'm kind of like, it's a bit of a free hit. There you have it. There is our review of the Leicester game and the preview of the Everton game. If you like our stuff and you want to see more of it, then you're in luck. We have a Patreon channel where subscribers can get bonus material. I am currently working my way through the video analysis for yesterday's game. So that should be out later today uh, if I can get it done in time. Um, We also have uh, podcasts on there. And this week we've got Carlon Carpenter, who works for Stats Bomb, coming on the podcast. And Josh and I are going to grill him about man marking systems with questions that I think were largely answered in that last game but it'll be fun hearing his take on that as well so if either of those things sound fun to you head over to www.patreon.com forward slash all stats aren't we and see what's going on over there Uh, we'll be back on Friday with another double header uh, because we've got Palace on Monday so we'll see you then uh, and hopefully the Everton game will be great so all there is for me to do is to say thank you Tom thank you and thank you Tom thank you very much and we'll be back on Friday